Good morning, church family. How is everybody? Good to see you all today. I'm honored to give the word to you this morning. My name is Garrett. If we've not met before, I'm one of the pastors here. I was doing the math. Um, I couldn't believe it. I've been here on staff almost nine years. I was licensed as a pastor in 2017. And I just love our church family for a lot of reasons. And so I feel very privileged to get the opportunity to share this morning. And before we dive in, I wanted to um, um, sing some songs from Aladdin because uh, it just feels like we should. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Not going to do that. Uh, it was my first time teaching from Jerusalem, so I'm excited about that as well. Uh, no, for real, though, uh, as I've been preparing this message um, this week, I've definitely felt a lack of confidence, and I've definitely felt overwhelmed. And um, the only reason I share that is because, by God's grace, the passage we're in this morning is Hebrews 4, 11 through 16, and it talks about the sufficiency and the power of God's word. And it just was a reminder that the real power behind any Bible study, any message, any sermon, any, any teaching is God's word. Not so much the vessel God uses to, to give it, but um, the word itself is, is living and active and uh, so if you don't get anything out of this, it's your own fault. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> just kidding. Uh, but with that comforting truth in mind, uh, let's turn to Hebrews chapter 4, 11 through 16. If uh, you're kind of new to the Bible or you're like me and Hebrews tend to, tends to kind of hide from you, it's towards the back of your Bible. It's uh, before Philemon, sorry, after Philemon, before James. And then if you're able, let's stand together and uh, we'll read God's word. Hebrews 4, 11 through 16. Let us therefore be diligent to enter that rest, lest anyone fall according to the same example of disobedience. For the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and of joint and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. And there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are naked and open to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. Seeing then that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Would you pray with me? Father, we're thankful for your word this morning. I'm thankful for each one here, each one online that's uh, come to receive from your word. Would you feed us, God, nourish us through the scripture? God, we want you to build our faith, to strengthen our faith through your word this morning. So would you do it in Jesus' name? Everyone said, amen. You can have a seat. Show of hands, how many of you have RSVP'd for a party, said that you're going, and then just not showed up? Anybody done that? A couple of you? Okay, good, good thing you're in church today. Um, you know, on Facebook, this is really easy to do. The, the event invite comes, you read it maybe, <laughs> you click going, you forget about it, the event comes and the event goes, you didn't go, and then maybe your friend sees you later and says, hey, what's the deal? You said you were coming to my event and you never showed up, and you're like, what event? <laughs> Completely forgot. So that's not a real cool thing to do, right? To RSVP that you're going to a party and then not show up. It's not cool. Uh, but we do that with God sometimes, don't we? 
he invites us into his promises. He, we're, remi- we're reminded of his promises when we read scripture, when we come to church, and we often RSVP yes. We say, amen. Thank you, God, for your promises. You're good. Yes and amen. We RSVP yes. But then when it comes time to go, when it comes time to get up and go and walk in those promises, something tends to happen, doesn't it? Maybe we forget. Maybe we get distracted. Maybe we just don't want to anymore. For whatever reason, we lose sight of the goodness and the urgency of the invitation. And it's not as clear as it was. So we don't get up. We don't go. And we miss out. So in the book of Hebrews, the author has spent a significant amount of time, as we've seen, inviting us into God's rest. My dad talked about that last week, and if you missed it, you can download the podcast and and listen to that. But we saw that God's rest is a spiritual rest, and we enter that rest through faith. His rest, among many things, means that we have a satisfied soul. Uh, We have a clear conscience. We we have genuine freedom to worship in spirit and in truth. And this rest, it's, it's, uh, it's like the children of Israel, the promised land that God provided for them, a a land flowing with milk and honey that a whole generation missed out on because of unbelief. And this rest is also like the Sabbath that that God himself enjoyed on the seventh day, that that Sabbath where we cease from working and we focus on the Lord. So God's rest has less to do with napping and vacation and, and leisure activity and everything to do with being in the presence of God and delighting in the Lord and having the peace as we trust that he's in control and that it's not up to us. Are you grateful that it's not up to you? Praise the Lord, it's not up to us. So that's where we come to in verse 11. He's sort of wrapping up this discussion of rest and that's where we pick up. It says, let us therefore be diligent to enter that rest, lest anyone fall according to the same example of disobedience. So my first point is this. You're invited. Don't miss out on God's rest. Resting, is God, resting in God is, is the best place that we could possibly be. And as we grow in Christ, as we mature spiritually, and hopefully that is the goal, to mature spiritually, the more we do, the more we understand our need to be diligent to enter God's rest. New believers less mature believers, they tend not to place the importance on God's rest as much. Maybe in our zeal as a new believer, we think, I got to do more for God. God needs me to do this thing or that thing. And we tend to think that our value in God's eyes kind of fluctuates with our activity for God. Anybody ever been there? I know I have. Or worse still, some immature believers, they underestimate their need for God's rest and they look for it in the ways that the world searches for rest in our culture, in people, in experiences, and we always come up short, way shorter than what God is actually inviting us into. And many of us have been there as well. So I like to think about how spiritual maturity and our, our physical maturity are often similar and have some similarities. For example, God's word in scripture is often likened to real food, right? Babies, 
need milk, and new believers need the milk of God's word. And then as you grow in Christ, as you mature, you, you move on to solid foods and, and you enjoy the meat of the word, right? Who wants pureed carrots when you can have a ribeye? Amen? Another example is how our physical maturity is marked by our, our ability to reproduce, generally speaking. And a mature believer reproduces when they make disciples. And so I think there's a correlation also here with rest and maturity. For example, my little boys, I've got three little boys. When it comes time for them to nap, it can be a real battle to keep them in bed. They're always coming out, coming out of the room, and they're little liars. They always say, I'm not tired. <laughs> but, of course, as their father, I know they are. I know they're tired. I know they need rest. They just don't value it. In fact, Legos are way more important than napping, right? Now, on the other hand, their grandparents, Papa, my dad, Opa, Ellie's dad, they're diligent to enter that rest. They know they need a nap, and they're glad to do it. Because in their maturity, in their wisdom, they know they need it. And uh, all the Legos in the world is not going to get in between them and their nap. So it's the same with mature believers, isn't it? We're diligent to enter God's rest. Our Heavenly Father knows that we need it. And by his goodness, he invites us into it. But he doesn't force it on us, right? It has to be a willing obedience for us to enter we have to do more than just RSVP. We have to do more than just yes and amen. We actually have to go. We have to be hearers of the word, not only hearers, but doers of the word. And we do it by trusting, by clinging, by obeying Jesus and understanding that it's not by our works, but it's by what he's already done. So the warning here is don't miss out on God's rest. Stay focused, persevere, don't be like the children of Israel. Don't drift around in the wilderness, the dry and drought for years, just to harden your heart and miss out on the promised land. Instead, may we be a people who experience the fullness of God, that we grow into mature believers, each one of us, that we really understand that the Christian walk has nothing to do with what I do and everything to do with what Christ has done. Amen? So in verse 12, we begin a new thought, and when you first look at it, it can feel like an abrupt change, kind of a real shift in topic, because uh, we're talking about God's rest, and now we're talking about God's word. So how does it connect? How does it flow? How, do, how did the um, original audience hear it? Let's put ourselves in their shoes for a minute. If you remember, uh, Hebrews was written to these Jewish believers who were relatively new in their faith. And they began to experience persecution. Among other things, they had friends and family who were threatening to cut them off because of their Christian faith. So they were tempted to abandon Christ and to go back to the Jewish law, to go back to the temple, to go back to the priesthood. They wanted to return to what was comfortable and what was tangible and, and what was familiar. So imagine they're reading this letter and in the previous chapters, the author has really just nailed them with God's word. He says, look, you're being tempted towards unbelief. You're, you're being tempted to harden your heart, just like your forefathers in the wilderness. They didn't heed God's word. They feared man. They felt sorry for themselves. 
and it, and it looks like you're headed down that road. So remember what happened to them. They fell in the wilderness. They didn't make it to the promised land. Please don't make the same mistake. So imagine they're reading this and, and they know that it's true and God's word has exposed their hearts and exposed their unbelief and they're left feeling vulnerable. And they're asking the question, how is it that I've been so exposed? How is it that you speak with such authority? And how do I live with this diligence? And of course, the answer is God's word. So the flow is this. They're cut to the heart by God's word. They want to know why. They want to know how. So the author, who of course is inspired by God to write, provides the answer. You want to know how this works? You want to know why you feel the way that you do? God's word. Verse 12, for the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of the soul and spirit and of joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. So my second point is this, beware because God's word will expose you. I know this, this is a familiar passage for many, and we quote it often as we celebrate scripture and we love the Bible and we, uh, we love how powerful the Bible is. However, in this context, I'm not sure the original audience was doing much celebrating. And I don't know if the author intended them to. In fact, I think they read this and they were struck in the heart with the fear of God. They might have even been, been scared because these verses, they're primarily, they're primarily an intense warning. He's saying, fear God. Fear God because the word is living and active and sharp and it's going to cut you and it's going to expose your unbelief and there's no hiding from God. So when we read these verses, we should, we should first hear them like that. We should heed the warning. And then, of course, we can apply it to other contexts because the word of God is unchanging. God is unchanging. And uh, so in any and every context, the word is living and active and sharp. And we celebrate that. And we celebrate the power of God's word to, to transform us. So let's walk briefly through this verse 12, one phrase at a time. The word of God is living. Beware, because the word of God is living. It's alive. It's not dead. It's, we can't dismiss it like another historical document. We can't dismiss it like you might a devotional you can't say it's irrelevant because it was written long ago. The word itself is alive. It possesses life. And we can celebrate that because the word of God also brings life. When we read God's word, it nourishes, it renews, and it gives life. Look at Psalms 119.93. It says, I will never forget your precepts, for by them you have given me life. And then when Jesus was in the wilderness and Satan was tempting him, he said in Matthew 4, 4, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. When we consume God's word, it gives us life because the word itself is alive. Have you ever heard uh, a pastor or a teacher or maybe you've read something written about scripture and you've thought, man, this person really makes the word come alive. Anybody ever said that? I've said that. And that's fine. That's a nice thing to say to a Bible teacher. But hopefully everybody involved realizes that 
The word was already alive. The pastor or the teacher is not making it come alive. It was already alive. What's really happening there is that you're hearing it. You're actually hearing it. And you're hearing it and mixing it with faith and believing it. And it's changing you. So it was already alive. You just realized it was alive. So there's a lot of gifted communicators out there, right? There's a lot of self-help gurus. And you probably already know this. But none of them can help you the way that the word of God can help you. Amen? Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And the word of God is not only living, it's living and powerful. Beware because the word of God is powerful. It's not weak, it's strong. It's not sedentary, it's active. So beware because when you hear it, when you really hear it, it doesn't just tap you on the shoulder, it punches you in the face. In other words, the word of God can mess you up. It was so sweet. My uh, four-year-old apparently was listening to the live stream during the 9 a.m. service. So when he came in for the 11 a.m. service and I saw him, the first thing he said to me is, how does the word of God punch you (laughs) in the face? Isn't that sweet? He was listening. So I said, here, son, I'll show you. (laughs) No, just kidding. (laughs) So the word of God can mess us up, but Celebrate because the powerful word of God will transform you. It'll mess us up and then it'll begin to make us new. The word of God changes lives, transforms us, sanctifies us, builds us up. Jesus prayed for his disciples, sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. Paul wrote in Acts 20, 32, Now, brethren, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up, and give you an inheritance among all those who are, who are sanctified. So the word builds us up. If you've ever attended our CCS 101, or if you've read on the website, we have a statement on there. It says, uh, we love to study the Bible. We immerse ourselves in the scriptures because the spirit of God works through the word of God to change the people of God. So this high view of scripture is, is who we aim to be as part of our identity, who we are as a church. And It's been that way since the very beginning, thanks to Pastor Kevin, 30 plus years ago, that's who we've been. And I'm just so grateful to have come up in a church that values the word of God this much and teaches the whole counsel of God. And I'm I'm thankful that our leaders today are, are still committed in this day and age, committed to teaching the whole counsel of God and allowing it to influence and direct our planning, our methods, and our church culture. Amen? So this truth that God's powerful word transforms lives, this is a truth that we can actually observe, and we have. Many of us have experienced it ourselves, but we've seen it in the lives of people around us, even in this church family. There are many here today that could testify of how the word of God has completely transformed their life as they've given themselves to it, not just once or twice a month on a Sunday morning, but daily, that they've dove into God's word, that they've marinated in it and allowed it to change their lives we've seen people overwhelmed with fear find peace we've seen people in bondage and addiction find freedom we've seen people deep in depression find joy we've seen people who are just inhibited by pride humbled and these are real people as i say these i picture in real people their faces 
And I think each one of them would, would tell you, would testify to the fact that it was the word of God as they shifted their focus from themselves and their problems and looked to the word and what it says and allowed it to expose them. It was a game changer. I don't think they'd tell you it happened overnight, but as they daily put their focus on the word of God, consistent diet of that living and powerful word, their lives were transformed. Finally, the word of God is sharp. Sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of the soul and spirit and of joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. So beware because the word of God is sharp. Again, when the original audience was reading this as they begin to see themselves in the example of their unbelieving forefathers, and as the word of God has exposed them, I wonder if when they read this, they got just a lump in their throat and a pit in their stomach and they, as they recognized that the gig is up. We've been exposed. We're cut to the core and there's no hiding. God's word pierces and it divides. It's, it says sword there, but the picture is probably more like small sword or even a, think a scalpel. It's surgical. It gets in there and cuts away and separates the hard to reach places. Painful. It doesn't sound fun. It's difficult. And because of that, there are many people who want nothing to do with God's word. They want the encouragement of Christian community, but they don't want the conviction of God's word. I pray that's not us today. We don't want to be happy to settle for just surface level change. You know, we can modify our behavior on a Sunday morning or a church event, or maybe even for a few weeks. But the word of God cuts deeper than that. And it does what we can't do. Our hearts are deceitful. And therefore, we have a really hard time discerning what's going on in our inner man and our inner, inner woman, don't we? We, uh, I don't know, maybe you thought to yourself, where did that thought come from? Or, uh, why does my heart really want that? Or this feeling in my stomach, is that the Holy Spirit or Chipotle? <laughs> Anybody else think that? But really, it can be confusing. But it gives us reason to celebrate because the word of God cuts through all of that confusion. The word of God discerns. It separates truth from lies. It separates dark from light separates right from wrong. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. So the sharp word of God, it corrects us and it instructs us in righteousness. It teaches us what is right, teaches us what is wrong, and it cuts through all of the junk. And there's a lot of junk out there, isn't there? So may we be a people who actually desire God's sharp word to examine us, to expose us, to, to do surgery on us with that precision at that depth that we can't do on our own. We'll never be able to do on our own. Makes me think of that uh, scene in Master and Commander. Anybody seen that movie? It's one of my dad's favorites. There's a scene there where the, the, the ship's doctor, he gets shot, and, 
um, you know, he's the only one that knows how to do anything like that, so he does surgery on himself with a mirror. And it's a gruesome scene. It's difficult to watch. And uh, it's unnatural. And I thought to myself, if that were me, I'm a dead man. Because <laughs> we're not meant to do that, to, to examine our own hearts. When we, when we look too deeply at our own hearts, we just get discouraged. And we get depressed and confused. Because it's really not our job. We'll just make it worse. It's God's job to examine our hearts and to do that surgery. And then like a doctor that you trust, our job is to listen to his instructions and obey them. Warren Wearsby wrote, God uses the word to enable us to see their sin, to, sorry, to see the sin and unbelief in our own hearts. The word exposes our hearts, and then if we trust God, the word enables our hearts to obey God and claim his promises. This is why each believer should be diligent to apply himself to hear and heed God's word. In the word, we see God, and we also see how God sees us. We ourselves, sorry, we see ourselves as we really are. This experience enables us to be honest with God, to trust his will, and obey him. So simply put, we can enter that rest by listening to God's word, by understanding it, by trusting it, and by obeying it. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in its season, whose leaves also shall not wither, and whatever he does shall prosper. Psalms 1, 1 through 3. So yes, God's word will expose you, but it doesn't leave you there. As we meditate on it daily, we become like a tree planted. We begin to grow, and we become blessed. Verse 13, the warning continues. The warning continues, and uh, we see that not only does God's word pierce, but his eyes pierce as well. He sees right through us. Look at verse 13. And there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are naked and open to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. We all know what it's like when our weakness becomes exposed, right? Hopefully I'm not the only one. I'll tell you a quick story. Um, in high school, we went on a missions trip, and we had a youth leader. Her name is Andrea, and Andrea was a great leader. She loved the youth, but she did not let us get away with anything. <laughs> and so we're on this missions trip, and she and I and a group of us were selected to bring some supplies to a really poor part of, of the city that we were in. And while we were there, I got hungry. And this was not the time or the place to be thinking about my own stomach. But I knew that in the back of the, the church van, we had a bunch of um, peanut butter and jelly sandwiches for later for the team. And uh, so I did what any young, growing, entitled young boy would do. I, I said to Andrea, hey, I'm hungry. Can I have one of those sandwiches? And she looked around at where we were at. She looked at me, and she didn't have to say anything. She just looked at me with that piercing look, as if to say, are you kidding me? 
how could you be thinking about your stomach? And I was exposed. I was cut to the core. I was actually humiliated. My weakness has been exposed. She was right. I was selfish. And uh, I'll probably always remember that. Luckily, God has more mercy and grace. Love, Andrea. So maybe you can relate to this a little better. Um, it's like when you're at the dentist and, you know, you're laid out on the chair and your mouth is open and the dentist is peering through your soul, I mean, your mouth, and, uh, <laughs> and they ask that terrible question. So, have you been flossing? And you could lie, but they're looking right at your teeth, right? So you tell the truth and you feel vulnerable and it's like your secret's been exposed, right? So we... We feel exposed and vulnerable when we're with other people. How much more do we feel that in front of our God who sees everything, who knows everything? Every thought, every intent of our heart, he sees it. There's no hiding from God. Where can we go from your spirit? Where can we flee from your presence? There's nowhere. Pretending with God is so much worse than trying to pretend with your dentist or your youth leader. He's not fooled. We're naked in front of him and our fig leaves aren't cutting it. He sees our weakness. He sees our flesh. He sees our filth. And his living and active and sharp word exposes us. We're cut to the core. We're exposed. We're vulnerable. So what do we do with that? What do we do when we're so exposed to the cross we look, to the cross we cling. Without the cross, we don't want to experience what the word does. But with the cross, because of the cross, we can celebrate what the word does. Because of the cross, we should want to be exposed. We should pray as David did in Psalms 139. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxieties. See if there be any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. We should want God to search us. And then everyone's life verse should be 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We should meditate on that verse daily. We confess our sin. We have a high priest who can and who does forgive us and cleanse us. And he sympathizes with our weakness. Not only does he forgive us, he also sympathizes with us. So this is where the author of Hebrew takes them, if we look at uh, verses 14 and 15. Seeing then that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weakness, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. So every religion has their version of priests, right? A mediator between God and the common man. Someone to stand in the gap and represent uh, the people to God. This is how it was set up for the, for the Jewish people in the Old Covenant. They had the high priest who once a year, the Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur, they would go into the Holy of Holies and there was a there was a complex series of purification and sacrifice and, and the sprinkling of blood, the whole works that the high priest would do once a year for the sins of the people. And um, this is what the Jewish Christians knew, 
right? This is what was familiar to them. And in light of the persecution, this is what they wanted to go back to. So in verse 14, it's as if he's saying, wait, wait, Jesus is so much better. He's so much better. He doesn't have to go into the temple for complex rituals. He's gone through the heavens. And he doesn't, like the high priest, you know, if the high priest lingers in the Holy of Holies, he's going to be killed. Jesus is at the right hand of the Father, and he's still there, and he's making intercession for us. He stands in the gap, so hold fast your confession and repent of your unbelief. Not only is Jesus way better, he sympathizes with our weaknesses. How profound is that, that our Savior sympathizes with our weakness? He's actually touched, he's moved by our human condition. He's not cold or indifferent to the struggle that you're facing today. It's really difficult to sympathize with somebody who's been through something that you haven't experienced yourself. That's why our Savior, he put himself in that human box. And he came and he went through what we went through. He's walked in our shoes. He's experienced our sorrow. And even more, he experienced more pressure than we'll ever experience. He experienced more pain than we'll ever experience. Yet he was without sin. He never gave in. Wearsby wrote, Jesus Christ unites deity and humanity so that he can bring people to God and bring to people all that God has for them. So our God is not distant from us. Our God is not apathetic towards us. Our God is not detached whatsoever. And therefore, we go to him with confidence. Or we can go to him with confidence. In our weakness, in our struggle, in the midst of our temptation, we can go to him with confidence, knowing that he cares and he has everything that we need. When we go, we're going to find mercy and we're going to find grace specifically for us, uniquely for our need. So in any moment of struggle, even later today, when your weakness is is in front of you, when you're confronted by your weakness, you can say to yourself, for this, I have a reliable and understanding high priest. So go boldly, because your Savior sympathizes. Verse 16, let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. That's a personal invitation. You can go to the throne of grace alone. You can go with your spouse. You can go with a friend. You certainly don't need a priest. You don't even need a pastor to come with you, although we're always happy to. How amazing is this invitation? How incredible is this invitation to come to the throne of grace? You know, you could be invited to the most extravagant party in the whole world. And it would not even compare even a little bit to this very real invitation that we have right here. It may not have come in the mail. It may not have a little checkbox asking whether you want chicken or fish when you get there. But it's a real invitation. And it demands a response. Or at least it requests a response. You don't have to dress up to go. You don't have to bring a gift to go. You just have to come. And the best part is this invitation, it stands. It's always there. It's not too late. You're always welcome. And when you go, you find mercy 
and you find grace. When you go, you're going to find that God is going to pardon you from the consequences that you deserve. And not only that, he's going to give you an inheritance that you could never deserve. So come boldly. And boldly doesn't mean with pride or arrogance. Boldly means with perseverance, with confidence, with consistency. This exhortation is try not to come with reluctance. Try not to come with fear and with doubt and focused on your own inadequacies. Instead, come confidently in faith, trusting in God's sufficiency. So we're going to close a little early today, and I want to just close with a series of questions here. You're here this morning. Do you want to rest in God's promises? Do you want his word to transform you from the inside out? Do you want to be forgiven and cleansed? And finally, do you want mercy and grace perfectly tailored for your needs? So in a moment, we're going to sing a final song. And perhaps today you want to do more than just RSVP. Perhaps you want to come boldly. Perhaps you want to come now. So I invite you to come forward for prayer during this final song. And the pastors will be here. We'll be happy to pray with you. You can also just pray on your own. There's no right or wrong way to do that. But we're available. We'd love to pray for you. So during this song, it's time that you can come to the throne of grace. Speak to, speak to your Savior and find mercy and find grace. But whether or not you come forward, whether or not you've been a believer for years or you're a new believer, or maybe you're coming to the Lord this morning, let's all go to the throne of grace. Let's all heed God's word and repent of our unbelief and allow him to change us. Let's be diligent to enter his rest today. Let's respond to the invitation and let's actually go. Would you pray with me? God, you're so good to invite us to your throne of grace. You, you take us despite our weakness, you cover our sin, give us mercy and grace. We don't deserve it, Lord. But we need it. God, I thank you for each one here, Lord. I pray that we'd find ourselves at your throne of grace each and every day.